Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 37. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Well, I'm so pleased to have on the show today, Margie Worrell. She's a Forbes columnist, a best-selling author, and a media commentator. She's internationally recognized as, a, as one of the top thought leaders in the world in human potential, and she's very passionate about challenging people to leave, li- I'm sorry, live and lead with greater courage. She's got a background of business, psychology, and coaching, and she's got a lot of diverse personal experiences, and she likes to support individuals and organizations globally to help them expand their vision, engage in bigger conversations, and make a more meaningful contribution. Some of her clients include Hitachi, United Healthcare, NASA, British Telecom, ExxonMobil, Best Buy, and Wells Fargo Bank. She's the best-selling author of Find Your Courage, 12 Acts for Becoming Fearless in Work and Life, and she's got a new book about that just came out called Stop Playing Safe. She's a founder of Global Courage, an organization focused on empowering women to become more powerful catalysts for change and leaders within their organizations, community, and society. I'm real like that because as a father of four daughters, I love it when uh, women talk about leadership and uh, helping women become more courageous. Margie, thanks for coming on the show. It is a pleasure. Great to be here. So let's talk about courage. I've been kind of on this courage kick for this last month, and Mm -hmm. as I tell you in the pre-interview, a lot of my... um, about a year ago, I started talking about courageous authenticity. I think it's really lacking in today's society and a lot of the business, in, in my experience anyway, just this, this need and this hunger for authentic conversations. So a lot of your book and a lot of what I've, I've watched some of your interviews, you really nail the head on when it talks about courageous authenticity. So how did you get uh, passionate about that? What, let's talk about that. Well, I think uh, at the core of what I'm really passionate about is people living bigger, more meaningful and courageous lives. Um, and courage is sort of, I guess, the thread that flows through everything I do. So courageous leadership is, I guess, guess it's one of my kind of core topics that I love to speak on and write on because I think that courage um, obviously, it's a big word and it means different things to different people at different times throughout their lives. But it's about being willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. And it's, it's about being willing to put ourselves at risk in, uh, in what we do, in how we engage with people around us and in what we aspire toward in our, in our lives. And so when it comes to being authentic, we can't be authentic unless we're willing also to be real and being real means being vulnerable it means it means revealing ourselves to people and our humanity and not keeping up a mask just it kind of keeps just that image of what we we want people to see and so i think that courage is is just fundamental to really being able to connect engage inspire and lead people in an authentic way yeah i think it's important too and a lot of my listeners have heard me say this in this podcast and i've said it in my presentations and in speech i came you know i used to think you know being courageous meant you know i i looked at myself with a limiting belief saying well i couldn't do that because i just would be too afraid but that's really kind of the 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 myth right there. I mean, the whole idea of courage, the whole definition of courage is being scared out of your mind, but choosing to do something anyway, right? It's not about being fearless. 
Uh, absolutely, that, that's correct. I think too often we think that we have to feel courageous or brave or fearless before we act with courage. But courage is actually a skill that can be learned. And <clears throat> while we're all wired differently, some people are naturally, you know, I have four children myself and my fourth child, he is just a little, you know, um, he's a little daredevil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he'll send me gray yet. And, uh, you know, isn't as, uh, isn't as cautious as say one, you know, my, my third child. Um, and so some might say, well, you know, it's okay for him. I'm not like that. Um, and we look around at other people who are being bold and we go, well, I'm not like that. I'm more cautious. I'm more risk averse. I'm not as confident. I'm just naturally timid. But that doesn't mean we don't have the ability to act courageously. Mm -hmm. And it's my experience. Um, and certainly I've, I've, I've written a lot about this, particularly in my, in my new book, Stop Playing Safe, that when we, when we act with courage, when we step outside our comfort zone, we, we build our uh, confidence at doing so again and again. We become more courageous. So courage begets courage. And in the realm of leadership, for, for those who aspire to being really great leaders that really impact change in really meaningful ways with the people they work with in their careers, business, um, and throughout life, Waiting for courage, waiting till you feel brave to set the big vision, to engage in the difficult conversation, to rally people around and say, this is what we want to work toward or to hold people accountable. Um, if we're, we're going to be waiting a long time. We may well. We need to just say, this is what it is that, that inspires me. This is what feels right. And I need to just step into it and step toward that, knowing that whatever happens, I have the resources that I need inside me to handle it. You know, one of my weaknesses as a leader, and especially in the corporate setting, but even in relationships, even with, with my wife and, and with my kids, um, I try to avoid conflict to the maximum extent possible. Now, again, I'm not saying I, that I go in and, 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 but having those difficult conversations has always been a large hurdle for me, especially in the workplace. And I've come to find out, and there's a great passage in your new book, or there's a great part in the chapter where you talk about those difficult conversations that it is, um, when you really play it safe, you're, it's really, how did you phrase it? It's more expensive to really play it safe than, than just, you know, getting up front and getting out of the open, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, what doesn't get talked out gets acted out. Um, and it gets acted out in snide remarks mm -hmm. and in, in, a, in a workplace with lower productivity, higher absenteeism, and ultimately someone saying, that's it, I'm out of here, or that's it, you're sacked. <laughs> um, so, in our, but in our, in our personal lives too, you know, the most important conversations we have to have can be the most difficult because we have to be willing to risk confrontation or rejection or criticism or the harsh judgment of others. Um, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I call them, you know, having courageous conversations and, and speaking up candidly. And I think too often we don't have those conversations. We tiptoe around the issues. We shy away from it. We sugarcoat what needs to be said to the point that it's really what we're trying to say isn't conveyed. And so to be an effective leader, to be an effective manager, but I think to be an effective human being, we have to be willing to speak up, share what's on our mind, not in disrespectful ways that put others down, but because something's important, is it something really important is at stake? 
And yeah, I, I dedicated a whole chapter in, in my new book to doing how to, how do we do that? Because, you know, to be someone who engages authentically with those around you, that doesn't always mean that what you have to say is something that they'll want to hear. Right. You know, and I think too, I think in putting yourself on the receiving end, I've seen this a handful of times in my corporate career. Um, less so in the military side, but especially in the corporate career that if there was bad news that was, that needed to be said, we spent so much time tiptoeing around it or the upper management, the leadership did, and it was so detrimental. And it was, and, and people may not like to hear the bad news, but, but it's almost insulting or cowardly to, to assume that they can't handle it. And if, if people do hear the good news upfront in a genuine, authentic style, um, it's actually, um, that's where a lot of the solutions come from. That's when the people start to rally around it, right? I think sometimes I've seen it both sides. I've seen it where people have kind of, well, I don't want to get them all worried. And, and that, that starts, there starts to be communication gaps and voids and they start filling them in with something that's far more worse than what you were trying to protect them from. And so. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can treat people as, as, as small in a way. It's like, oh, they won't handle it. Right. And I mean, I, I feel like that with kids too. It's like people can handle a lot more than we tend to think. And we're doing them a disservice, a profound disservice when we treat them that way. Um, that doesn't mean we don't, we don't adjust what we say sure. depending how we think it's going to be taken, um, and we can be we need to be very gentle and provide support, etc. But, but really, not not giving people feedback, for instance, doesn't do them any favors if if their behavior is 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 ultimately you know unacceptable if it's impacting how they're being perceived among others. And often when people say, well, you know, I'm doing them a favor not saying this, it's really because we don't want to have to deal with That's the difficult right. emotions and we're, we're being cowardly. That's right. Yeah, in, in the times when I've had to have those difficult conversations, you know, and you look at it, it was because I didn't want to have to deal with it. But then if you if you get to the mindset where you're thinking, you know what, I owe it to them. I owe it to them to tell them. You know, it's kind of like if you have a, a good friend, you know, you'd want your good friend to tell you if you had bad breath. I mean, you put it down in that perspective, right? You know somebody loves you if they tell you you have bad breath. You know, it's it's when people are talking behind your back. Then that, you know, so that's how I put it in that context. You owe it to them. You owe it to them to tell the truth, you know, and or, or to tell them the brutal facts with tact. I mean, you don't have to be, like I said... Um, you have to do things with tact, but um... yeah. And one thing you said is something I I I, I think is really important is you know if it's a best friend and you know they've got bad breath or you know your, your girlfriend's got a new haircut and you really don't think it suits her, whatever it is, when there is a lot of trust in a relationship, mm. we can say things because the other person knows that we really care about them. But if I tell someone I've just met something like that, well, it's it's not going to go down so well. It's like, who are you to tell me that? And I don't know that you're not just, you know, belittling me. So I think at the core of leadership has to be about building trust because when people trust that you genuinely care about them, that you're doing things in their interests, not just in your own, that then it, it, it creates a space to be able to have those conversations and for them to be much more fruitful and, and, and helpful to the person you're having it with. So building trust in how we go about things on a day-by-day -day basis and we do it in, in one little small interaction and conversation at a time can set the, can set, can set the stage for then those difficult conversations. Um, and not just if you, if you don't have that relationship, if people actually don't think very much of you and you try and give that feedback, 
it won't be received anywhere near as well as when they really respect that you are someone who is genuine, you, you, you're not just about your own success, but you are about the success of others, then, then it really completely shifts the impact that you have. Yeah, and what you said there about coming with the trust piece, that means it has to come from your heart. There has to be a love affair with um, the idea of leadership and another human being. So it has to come from the heart. And I think a lot of times um, on both sides, if, if you look at yourself, how you're really leading, are you leading from your head? Are you leading from your gut? Are you leading from your heart? You know, And hopefully it's from the heart. And that's when, for me anyway, if you can look at it that way where the difficult conversations are a little more palatable because that way they know like you said, it's not coming from a um, one of the other yeah. places. Yeah, it, it, what comes from the heart lands on the heart. Mm-hmm. I really believe so. We we can intuitively pick that up, and and that's why you know. Actually, I wrote about this in in Stop Playing Safe. Well, before we ever go in and have one of these conversations, get clear in your own mind. What's the highest purpose that I'm 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 trying to serve here? What is it that what, how do I think this is ultimately going to serve this person and everybody else by having this conversation? And that kind of really addresses the ego. Is this just me wanting to fire back at them because they've just undermined me and my ego's been bruised? Or is it because I really genuinely, um, you know, feel that this is, is in the best interests of everybody? So I think that's, to me, that's always step number one. What's your highest purpose for having this conversation? Yeah, and I think too, the idea, and I like the terms that you use about being bold. I can't, my gosh, I, I have so many interviews. Someone I was talking to, oh, it was a, a woman named uh, Jenny Catron. Uh, and uh, she, in her book, she had this term called boldly humble. And I love that because um, a lot of times we associate bold with being, uh, at least for me anyway, when you hear the word bold, you think of something like uh, more extrovert, more brash. But I think you can be, ex- you know, humility and boldness are very powerful com- combination and at the core of uh, real genuine leadership. Oh, ab- absolutely. I think humility, you know, if, if it's about you, you're never going to be the effective, most effective leader you can be. You know, thinking about it's not about me, it's about others, and that's mm-hmm. where I see the concept of, ser- you know, the servant leader has been written about for a long time. But why are you a leader? It's not just for your own glory. It is to make a meaningful impact and contribution. Um, and when we're coming from that place, then it, it that that filters through every interaction, every conversation, and um, I think ultimately allows us to be someone that is far more trusted that others will follow. You know, you hear people who you know leaders they really admire, they'll follow them anywhere. Um, and I think that's that's at the core of it. And and to me, when a leader is really clear about their their big purpose. Um, you know, in my chapter one of Stop Playing Safe, I, it's know your why. What's your why? What's the big purpose that you have for being? And when we're really clear about what that is, then we find the courage to do whatever it is we need to do. And us us losing face, the risk of, um, you know, making a mistake, all these things become secondary because something more important is at stake. Yeah, you know, one underwriting thing when I talk all these interviews that I've had, that has probably been the most prevalent theme is is understanding the why and the purpose. Um, I talked with Richie Norton just about an hour ago, and we talked about that exact same thing too. And it's just like you got to understand for that genuine authenticity to to emerge, for the vulnerability to come up, you have to know the why of what you're doing, or it has to be attached to some critical core value, purpose, vision. Um, 
But what about how do what if we struggle with the why? Do you have any any tips on that? I mean, how do you? Sometimes it just can seem so muddled and confusing. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think one of our one of I think one of the biggest quests every human being has is to figure out our why. And I think, you know, some people it's very clear from an early age, and that's nearly always because they've faced. Um, a really profound adversity at an early age. They've been faced with, you know, extraordinary injustice or they've had to deal with something that's been, you know, really, really difficult to deal with. And so that's been a clear thing that now they know this is why I'm on earth. I'm here to right this wrong. However, with, you know, most of us, it's not necessarily, we haven't necessarily, you know, found that same big cause early on in life. And I think we go through life trying to find it. And, some of the things to do, I think, are looking at, you know, where what is it I care most about? What are the talents? What are the things that I'm naturally good at? Wh- who is it that, what are the problems people tend to come to me to, to solve that I seem to have just be naturally have an affinity for, for seeing things and solving these sort of problems? Um, tying all this in with our core values and, and, and also obviously what, what, what opportunities that we're, we're faced with as well. But I think that when we can kind of find that intersection between what we're good at, what we're passionate about, align that around our core values, then it's in that place that we can find a sense of purpose in our lives and knowing that that can continue to evolve right throughout the course of our lives as well. On a macro level, I think I know for me the last, uh, especially six, seven years, it's very um, nerve-wracking. And I guess on a global scale, you talk a little bit about in your intro in your book, but talk to me about how you feel and how you look. Um, you know, from when you wrote your first book, you know, it really was about trying to get people to, you know, to look on an individual level the limiting beliefs. Did the the kind of the global crisis and the way things are kind of just changing at breakneck speed that did that prompt you to write this new book and then what do you think how do you think the future is for um you know is there a leadership crisis is there a cultural crisis I just, i'm just curious what you think about that well, i think there's uh, there's there's multiple factors that really inspired me writing this this book my first book find your courage was um more in the realm of our i mean a uh, it was across the board in our lives about where do we need to be more courageous and certainly in the realm of our personal relationships. Um, stop playing safe is much more work focused, career focused. Mm. Where are we failing to live, to, to be purposeful in our careers and, um, and courageous in how we go about the work we do on a daily basis? Um, whether, whether we're a leader, um, and we aspire to really being in a senior position that manages others or just or whether we're in a, in a business that we want to start up. So it, 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 it's across the board. But I think the, the global financial crisis obviously changed, um, the mood of the world yet again after obviously 9-11 shifted the mood of the world. The global financial crisis, I think, turned up the dial on people's levels of anxiety. Suddenly there was enormous uncertainty about what does the future hold. It was much less predictable. And I think that really only tends to amplify the our natural aversion to risk anyway. Um, and and the work that I do with organisations, and, I, you know, yeah, you mentioned I'm working with NASA and sometimes people say to me, yeah, but surely they don't need courage in there. Like, yeah, they do. <laughs> they in every organization where you have human beings you need you need courage and um and there's always going to be people who are struggling with how to navigate forward in a in a 
big work environment, how to deal with the people that you have to deal with, how to influence without authority. And so I think that, you know, after the global financial crisis, more and more people found themselves uncertain and the tendency is to play safe, to not take risks, to not speak up, certainly don't rock the boat because, heck, it might you might get knocked out of it. But to add the value that you have to contribute, you have to be willing to push the envelope, to challenge the status quo thinking, to question assumptions. And the people who will become more valued in today's workplace that's flatter, that's more competitive and global, are those who are adding the most value mm -hmm. and who able to um, advocate for themselves and let others know and manage their own careers and let people know this is the value I have to contribute. And that in itself, you know, tooting your own horn can take some courage. Yeah, talk about tooting your own horn. How did it mean? A lot of times we're taught that uh, it's not necessarily a good thing, but I'm kind of with you. I think it's uh, you have to do it at some points. Who else is going to do it? I mean, there, there are ways to successfully do it, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's funny. I, I, I just wrote an article about this this week on tooting your own horn. And um, I think the key thing with tooting your own horn is realizing that it's not, there's a distinct difference between tooting your own horn to stroke a needy ego and sharing information about yourself with the relevant people in the right way so that they know the value you have to contribute and that what you, what you want to contribute moving forward. And you know, in today's workplace, if you're not advocating for yourself, if you're not making sure that people know who you are and what you're capable of, you'll miss out on opportunities that will go to people who are doing that. Um, and, you know, there's obviously HR no longer has a career map for everybody and if they ever did. And, uh, and with so much turnover, you know, people don't have a boss for 12, 15 years. They're moving all the time. We have to be constantly educating people about who we are and building our, I guess, our personal brand in um, our professional brand, our leadership brand in our jobs, in our careers, in our industry. So I think we really, this idea, humility is a virtue, but false humility can leave you languishing. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be really careful not to think that, you know, people who are humble don't toot their own horn. People who are humble also, if they have a strong sense of purpose, no, they need to get out of their own way and share with people information about what they've done, what they can do, so to people who can help open doors for them to do more of it. You know, what I love about your stuff and I love about your message and your book is, is that you really get at the core of um, tapping into our limiting beliefs. I think all of us, and I've said this, but, you know, and I say in my speeches, I say it too when I've been in leadership positions of people, but I'm guilty of it too, that we're far more capable than we give ourselves credit for. And um, I think the thing that gets me excited and I love about your stuff is that you really get to, that, that really, seems to be what's driving you is that you try to want to get the most out of everybody. Now everybody, you know, it's not about, you know, getting the C-level office or the C corner office, but it's about tapping the leadership potential in everybody, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, to me, all leadership begins with self-leadership and you certainly don't need a title right. to be a leader. And, um, you know, I, I've, it's a, another way of sort of lens of talking about what I do is about having people own their own power to affect change in the world, but it starts by affecting change in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter if it's the, the, the guy in security or the woman, you know, in the reception desk or the admin or whatever, it's, are you living your life powerfully? Are you owning your ability to affect change? 
Um, and are you feeling like your life matters, what you do matters? And I, I really believe that everybody who goes to work should go to work knowing that what they do matters and yes. how they do it, the spirit, the spirit that they bring to what they do matters even more. Yeah, and I wish more leaders in, in the lead that have the title would put all their energy into extracting that out of their individuals or creating an environment that would let that flourish because that's when the creativity, that's when the amazing thing happens. You know, that's when the, 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 you know, the, the, the solution that saves all the money or the, the, that's what gets me excited. And, um, that's what I love about your message. In, in these last minutes, let's talk about, you know, I, and I've, I've talked to a handful of women leaders on the show. I saw an interview that you did with uh, a local, I forget, it was on YouTube, a local, but I love what you were saying. And again, I know as a father, four daughters, and I always, you know, and struggling and trying to get, and I don't know where, where they get it. I don't know if it, if it's from school or that there just seems to be this like, and I, and I don't have boys, so I'd be curious to see what it's like to have from your perspective with the boys that you have. But there just seems to be this, um, almost inherent limiting belief about themselves. And, um, Again, I don't, and I love what you said in that interview, and I can't remember who you were talking to, but I love that you said, look, it's not about being one of the guys. You know, relish the differences between men and women, and, and as leaders, you know, women to be leaders, relish the fact of those differences. Talk about that with me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do speak a lot on women's leadership. Um, and I guess I'm a, as a woman, I, 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 I understand that I, well, my belief is that we women have a tendency to second guess and underestimate ourselves more so than men. Now, I can get in trouble for saying that. Um, it's obviously a generalization, but I, that's my experience. Um, and I think that women, we obviously women make great leaders. Mm -hmm. We are naturally empathetic and perceptive. We, we, we can, we're great at being able to collaborate and bring a group of people with divergent opinions, you know, together. But, but too often we undermine ourselves, I believe, from being able to, to make, to make the difference that we have the potential to make by um, underestimating ourselves and uh, and I really think that it, it isn't about being more like a man. You know, if God wanted us to be like men, he'd have made us like men. Um, we, we, we bring different things to the table and I think together when, you know, in any organisation, when you have a group of men and women sitting around a decision-making table, I mean, there's lots of research that shows the quality of the decisions are better and organisations with more women in their senior ranks are more profitable. So women bring different perspectives. But I, I really believe, you know, and to any women that are listening to this, you know, we are capable we, much more than we think. And, and what we have to contribute, it may be different to what men have co contribute sometimes, but it's no less valuable. And we shouldn't be comparing ourselves all the time because it just often undermines us. But just focusing in on what it is that you're good at and do it and do it well and do it boldly. Yeah, I love that. And I'd agree with you. I think, you know, coming from the Marine Corps when, and I was at a time in the aviation side, we didn't have any women in, uh, in the squadrons and then coming out and I've, you know, 12 years in the corporate side. And I've worked in some organizations at some uh, very, uh, positive role models, both men and women. But I would agree with you. When you had the, the women, uh, in the great, the, who were great leaders in that role, it seemed, I don't know, it just seemed, and you had that, that right mix. Um, I, I agree with you. The decision making, um, it was more, 
I don't know. There was just something about it. And when you said it, it just made me think about that. It, it's true. Um, I don't know. I love what you say about that. And again, as four, having father of four daughters, you know, I'm always trying to get them to, to understand that they're more capable of, of what they, they believe at this point. But, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's something from school or what. I, I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, well, I, I well, the women don't have as many role models. I wrote a Forbes column yesterday on Margaret Thatcher. Oh, yeah. um, I really, I, a lot of people didn't like her politics. I admired her immensely for her courage and bravery. Mm-hmm. And she grew up in a very class-based society. She grew up in a working class. Um, she was, for her to to have climbed to the heights of power that she did. Um, is a statement in just about what's cap- what we're capable of when we're committed to something. And she was very committed to making a difference and, and making Britain a better place. Um, and I think for all of us, not all of us are wired like Margaret Thatcher, but for me as a parent with four kids myself, I'm constantly, even little things, getting kids to do things a bit outside their comfort zone. You know, they walk, my kids walk to and from school and I, I you know, and some of their friends aren't allowed to and I don't think, I, I assess that it's not unsafe for them to do so and, and, and for them it's sort of like, well, we walk to school and other kids don't and I think ultimately those little things, not everyone's in a position for kids to walk to school clearly, but sometimes those little things um, can help build confidence over time mm-hmm. and build resilience, you know, having kids deal with making their own mistakes and having to clean it up and get over it and learn that our, our, our mistakes, setbacks and failures don't define us. And I think, you know, from a young age as parents, we can help to cultivate a culture of courage in our own homes, just like leaders can do in an organisation, and help to raise kids who, who are confident in their ability to take on challenges that are bigger than them. Well, Margie, I'm a big fan. I mean, I love, uh, I love your blogs. I love your writing. I love the books. Uh, where can they find, um, you? Let's, t- let's, oh, t- um, my accent is terrible as far as, uh, people understanding when I spell out my name, but just go to margiewarrell.com. I'm sure you'll provide a link for that. I will. And people can, people can, you know, sign up for my Live Boldly newsletter. You know, my YouTube, it's called Courage TV, my YouTube channel. Sign up for my videos that I upload and TV interviews. Facebook, I'm on there at Margie Worrell too. Um, likewise, find your courage and stop playing safe are both available on Amazon. And, you know, Amazon have got some special double deal going at the moment. So I think you can pick them both up for, a, for, a, for a song. <laughs> awesome. Well, like I say, I'll have links to all the stuff when I blog, when I put the post up later this week. I'll have links to all those great resources that you have. Margie, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a true pleasure. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. See you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.